All right, let's open up our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 18 is the, the central verse that we're going to focus on, or at least it's the, it's the verse that really drives home the point that I think this part of the passage is going to make for us. But we will be looking at verses 15 through 18. Colossians chapter 1. Pray with me. Father, would you, uh, would you give us wisdom and insight as we look at your word as we meditate on it, Lord, give us the grace to receive it, to believe it, and to be changed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Looking back at uh, 2023, it feels different looking back at 2023 for me. And I think for a lot of us, because things seem different now, there seems to be a difference in the way things are, culturally even, since 2020, right? Things feel different. And we know, you know, communities change, cultures change, countries change, people change, but oftentimes not for the better. And so when we're looking at our lives and you're looking back at 2023, and that's something that a lot of us do at this time of year, New Year's Eve, we start looking back and thinking like, well, I wish I would have done this differently, or I wish I would have made better choices, or I wish I wouldn't have done those things that I kept doing, right? And so we look ahead and we like, well, is, is 2024 going to be different? Can, can 2024 be different? And we've got all the self-help motivational gurus that aren't bad people. Well, some of them are really bad people, but they're not all bad people. And, and they can motivate us and give us incentives to try and to do our best and to become better versions of ourselves through sheer willpower. And that's not all bad. But I mean, if we really start to look at ourselves and our circumstances and we, we look, is 2024 going to get better? And we think maybe, and then we remember it's an election year and go, oh, probably not. It's probably not going to get, it's probably going to get, things are going to get, I'll, Prophecy, it's going to get crazy next year. Shocking prophecy, I know. The question is, not so much are things going to be different, but can I change? Can I change, right? That's what most of us, even if we're just trying to get healthier, maybe some of us have put on more weight uh, <laughs> again uh, this past year, and we're like, I, you know, I want to get, you know, I want to lose the weight. But what we're really looking at is, is, can I change? Not just weight, but can I change? And what I want us to do today as we look at this passage is I want us to look outside of ourselves because that's usually where we go. We look inside of ourselves to see all that's wrong and we somehow think well, by looking inside of ourselves, we're going to find all that's right and find the proper motivation to do better and to become something different. I want us to look outside of ourselves. And the principle that I want us to take away from this passage is this. I'll tell you on the front end before we read it. The principle is that the supremacy of Christ means that 2024 can be different. The supremacy of Christ means that you can change. I'll explain. We'll get there. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
We read this passage a lot in here, right? Have you noticed that? If you're regular, we read that this is this passage. There's a couple of passages like this that we read. The reason we read this passage so much in our responsive readings or in our, our scripture readings just normally happening throughout the service or why I reference it so much is because in it we have a proper, fuller view of Christ. It is a beautiful and exalted depiction of Christ. It shows us his transcendence, his excellence. It shows us his supremacy. So here's what this passage is going to show us, and this is going to eventually lead us to, to our, our, our concept here, this, this principle that the supremacy of Christ means 2024 20, can be different. Here's what we're going to see. Number one, the supremacy of Christ in creation. That's the first thing that Paul points out here. Second, the supremacy of Christ in the church. And then third, the supremacy of Christ in you. That's where we're going, okay? So first, the supremacy of Christ in creation, verses 15 through 17. Right? And in verse 15, what does it say? It says, he, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. To see Jesus is to see God, right? No one can see God and live, but Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, right? In the most literal sense, God in the flesh. So he is the image of the invisible God, right? God is a spirit, right? Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, so you can't see God, People saw Jesus, and to see him, to interact with him, to draw close to him, was to see, interact with him, draw close to God. So to see Jesus is truly to see God. Uh, Colossians 2.9 says, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right. So this is not what most of the world thinks of when they think of Jesus, right? Even most religious folk that I know when they think of Jesus, they think of coach Jesus, buddy Jesus, friendly Jesus, accepting Jesus, loving Jesus. They don't typically think of all the fullness of deity dwelling in him. And they don't typically think of what we see here in Colossians chapter one. So I want us to go there. He is the image of the invisible God and he is the creator and the sustainer of all that is. And this point is made very explicit, right? He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is creator. Image of the invisible God, creator. It says he's the firstborn of creation. Now, we know that this doesn't mean that he was the first being to be created because of everything else that Scripture tells us. But also in this very passage, we're clued in that it is through him that everything has been made that was made. He is not created. He is creator. He is firstborn among creation. It means that he is first. It means that he is exalted. It means that he is the inheritor of all that exists, right? That's typically the reference in, in first century Jewish culture, right? Uh, the firstborn is the one who inherits Right? They are the one that has the authority after the Father. So here, Jesus is said to be the, the firstborn of creation, first exalted inheritor of everything that exists, and he is said to be the agent of creation in verse 16. Through him, all things have been made. There is nothing that exists, spiritual or physical. Right? There is nothing in, in the heavens or on earth, there is nothing anywhere that exists that doesn't exist without Jesus. Without Jesus, nothing is in this created order. With Jesus, everything is. 
He is the agent of creation, and he is the end of creation. For by him all things have been made, and it's also for him that all these things have been made. All things were created through him and for him. For him, it means that he is the, 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 the end or the, the, uh, the, the goal. Uh, he, is the, he is the purpose for which all these things have been made. All, everything that has been made has been made for his pleasure, his glory. Christ, in his work, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his return, in his reign over all in the kingdom of heaven, all things exist for him. That means that you exist for him. So he is the creator, right? The agent of creation and the end of creation. But he is also not just the creator of all that is, but the sustainer of all that is. It says in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I have not yet found a commentator who has a different take on what this means, in him all things hold together. All of that I have read, I'm sure there are some out there, but all that I have read, and that's quite a few in this particular verse over the years, all that I have read say the same thing, that Jesus is not only the creator of what exists, but he is the one that brings order to it. He is the one who maintains it and sustains it. All things are and continue to be because Jesus says so. In fact, one commentator said it really well. Uh, I, I wrote it down. He said, creation is not a chaos, but a cosmos, right? It's, it's a cosmos, which means that there is, there is a design to it. There is an order to it, and it continues to work like a watch, because the designer didn't just make it and walk away, but he attends it, right? He's winding it. This is Jesus, the supremacy of Christ in creation, right? He is exalted above creation, which means that he's not just exalted above plants and rocks and animals and stars and planets, but he's exalted above us as people, as human beings. He is not a mere prophet. He is not a mere teacher. He is not a coach. He is much more than that. He is God in the flesh, creator. But then what Paul does is he moves from the supremacy of Christ in creation to a, a, a narrower focus, and he shows the supremacy of Christ in the church, right? In the church. It's almost like sometimes we invent these little worlds for ourselves, or we exist in these smaller worlds, and we know, oh, I know Jesus, you know, he is he's supreme and exalted in, in the cosmos, but at work, it's just kind of my own world. I don't need to worry about Jesus being supreme here. Or in the church, believe it or not, even though it's Jesus' church, uh, sometimes we begin to function as if Christ is not supreme here. So Paul drives this home, the supremacy of Christ in the church in verse 18, where he says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
Jesus is the head of the body, the church, head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, right? Important concept for us to hold onto as Christians who are committed to local congregations, whether this is your church or you go somewhere else, wherever you're plugging in, I hope it's healthy. I hope, it's, I hope you have good fellowship there with Christians who love the Lord, who are honest about who they are and what they're struggling with. And you can help each other and exhort one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, that none of us might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, but grow in our love for an understanding of Jesus, right? I hope that's your experience. Jesus is the head of the church, right? Head. Now, this is the first time Paul actually says that in his writings, right? If you look at chronologically his writings, it's the first time he says that Jesus is the head of the body, head of the church. It's not the first time he's talked about the church as a body, though. He's been talking about that uh, throughout uh, his, his early epistles, right? He talks about the church being a body, and we're all made up of different, you know, we are all different members of the body, and we serve different purposes, right? But we're all working towards this one greater purpose is the health of the body, the unity of the body. Uh, let me just, I'll just, I mean, there's a couple. The way to remember this, right, is, is uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, where you learn about the church and its unique giftedness and the spiritual gifts and the way we all work together. Um, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, I'll read this one. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. And there are many more spiritual gifts than these, but you get the idea. The church is like a body made up of different members, Right? And those members are supposed to work together for the health of the body. The point here is to leverage the, the intrinsic unity that we have in Christ in these actual local churches. It's about unity, it's about cooperation, and it's about serving one another. The church is a body. Jesus here is said to be the head of that body. And what does it mean for Jesus to be the head of the church? Well, um, some people break it down like this. They're, Jesus is the head of the church in like a, a, an organic sense and in a ruling sense, right? So in the organic sense, like if you lose your head, literally, what happens? It just lights out, right? Like, like hopefully you know the Lord and you're, you're in heaven. But if you remove the head from the body, uh, the body is done, right? You're just gone. It's to say that, that Christ is the organic head of the church means that he is the one from whom the body derives its life. There is no life in the body apart from the head. There will be no growth. There will be no health. There will be no strength. There will, there will be nothing happening in the body apart from the head. Uh, one passage to consider is, uh, is Colossians, uh, again, chapter 2, verse 19. It speaks of those who do not hold fast to the head. That's Jesus. Jesus is called the head here with a capital H. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So Jesus is the organic head of the church, right? Um, he comes first because of who he is, but, but the reality is, is that he is the only reason that there is any kind of spiritual reality, spiritual growth, spiritual strength in local congregations. The church grows spiritually because Christ grants life to it. 
So he is, he is the organic head of the church, but he's also the ruling head of the church. And this speaks to his authority, that Christ has the authority. He gives us laws. He gives us wisdom. He teaches us how we are supposed to live. He gives us guidance. Let me read uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. To say that Jesus is the head of the church doesn't just mean that he's the boss, though it does mean that. It means that he is exalted supreme, that he comes first, that just like creation is made through him and for him, so the church is made through him and for him. We exist not just as creatures on the earth for him, but as Christians in the church, we exist for him. He is the head of this body. So this is a reminder to us all that Jesus is the head of the church, not anybody else. You know what that means, right? It means the Pope is not the head of the church, right? I'm not picking on cat. I mean, I am a little bit. I'm not, they can pick on us. We've got all kinds of issues too. Uh, but like in the Roman Catholic Church, the, the Pope is seen to be the head of the church, that this was a grace conferred upon uh, Peter by Jesus himself. That's how they view it. And therefore, it is passed down from Pope to Pope to Pope. The Pope is the head of the church. He is the authority in the church. That's why when the Pope says what he says, says from his chair, ex cathedra, it is as authoritative as anything Jesus said. And the Pope is not the head of the church. Paul makes this pretty clear. Maybe it's easy. That's easy. Pope. We're Baptists. We're not down with the popes. But, uh, but we are still down with putting other people in place as head of the church. A lot of Baptist churches, you know who the, you know who the head of the church is? It's the pastor. It would be, <laughs> how funny is that? It would be me. <laughs> you guys are in trouble. Do something dumb like that. Um, yeah, like they, some popes, some, some popes, some Baptist pastors function like popes, right? They, they really do. It's like they have all authority. What they say goes, right? And, and it's not just the reading of scripture and, and they're preaching accurately from the word. It's, it's any opinion that they have is, is said with such authority that it must be received as, it is, as, it, as if it is coming from the very mouth of God. I've seen many churches put pastors, and it doesn't have to be celebrity like super fit, good-looking pastors, they're out there, uh, who are made into like, oh, they're the head, they, they call all the shots, they're the CEO, they're the brand. Uh, it can just be small churches as well, small churches with a regular guy who happens to exert a kind of authority in the church that he should not have. Pastors are, are not the head of the church. Elder boards are not the head of the church. Uh, neither are people, the congregation. The congregation is not the head of the church. Some churches work like that, Right? Sometimes the pastor is nothing but a pawn. He's just kind of told what to do. Uh, I've seen a number of pastors hired, brought into a church, and, uh, and they, the, they say, hey, listen, when I come in, this is, what I'm gonna, this is how I need to function. This is what I, I like to see the church doing. And once they get in place, they just say, that's all right. Just go ahead and preach for us, preacher boy. Just preach for us, and that's all we want you to do. We don't want you to try and do anything else. And the church body acts as if they have the final say. Now, in reality... 
We are a congregationalist church, which means we have elders who lead. They have some level of authority. Uh, we have deacons who serve. Uh, and we have a congregation who has the last say on certain issues in the church, right? Those critical issues of who will be in leadership and who will not be in leadership, who will be admitted into the church and who will be removed from the church. The congregation has the final say, the final vote, but that doesn't mean that they are supreme. Christ is the head of the church. He is supreme. We all together serve him. That's what's being said here. Christ is supreme in creation. He is supreme in the church. He is said to be the, the firstborn from the dead in verse 18. Firstborn from the dead. This means that Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead. And you might think, hmm, uh, there are other accounts of resurrections in the scriptures, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. So technically, no, I'm talking about a kind of resurrection, which means you will never taste death again. This is a full resurrection, a proper resurrection, the, the, a resurrection that leads to glory. Lazarus was raised from the dead only to die again. When Jesus rose from the dead, it is that resurrection unto life. It never, death can never happen again. Jesus was the firstborn from that dead. And with his resurrection is a resurrection promise to all of us, all of those who believe. We have the promise of resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 1 says it this way, chapter, uh, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are saved by Christ's death and resurrection, and that resurrection of Christ promises us a resurrection of our own. We look forward to the day when, when we are raised in glory, physical bodies, never to taste death again, never to suffer, never to die, never to experience loss or failure again. That is eternity for us. That's our great excitement about what we call heaven, is that it's real, it's material not just spiritual. But it's not just the promise of a future resurrection we have. We have this experience of resurrection power now. And so we can just go to Colossians 3. And now consider the resurrection that of Christ promising us a resurrection of our own. How do we experience this now? Chapter 3, verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, like a spiritual resurrection that we have all experienced by being born again. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is a reference to the resurrection. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." 
That's what's happening in the Christian life, in the life of faith. When we are healthy, we are growing, and we are looking more and more like our creator, our maker. We are being changed. Resurrection power brings about change. So we see the supremacy of Christ in creation. We were all made through him and for him. We see the supremacy of Christ in the church. We were all made through him and for him. And through his resurrection power, we can and do experience change. This brings us to our final point, the supremacy of Christ in you. Paul says it this way, and I've been thinking about this uh, for a few weeks now. Verse uh, 18 All of this, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. In all of this, Jesus might be preeminent. Preeminent, not eminent. You know what eminent means? Eminent means famous, respected. Lots of people can be eminent. Um, That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I'm, again, I'm not, I don't know why I'm focusing on the Catholic Church. Uh, cardinals are called your eminence, right? That's all right. They're highly known, recognized, hard work to get there, whatever. But preeminence, preeminence means first, exalted above all, ruling above all. There is no one else to which one can appeal Christ is preeminent, and he has done all that he has done to be preeminent in everything. He is first in creation. He is first in the church. So the question is, is he first in us? Now, I don't mean is he first in us in some sort of perfect way. Ain't nobody perfect, right? No Christian is going to achieve perfect perfect submission, you know, uh, to, to the will of God where we, we don't mess up and, and, and make the bad choices and, and make mistakes and then just choose to, to fly off the handle and yell at somebody and sin. We all are going to do some bad things, but to ask the question, is Christ first, does mean something. Is Christ preeminent? What, is it, what does it mean? What does it mean for Christ to, to be preeminent, to have supremacy in our lives? What does it mean if Christ is preeminent in our marriages? What does that mean? Like, look it out. Like, work it out. Like, what does it look like in your parenting? If you're, a, if you're parents, what does it look like for Christ to be preeminent in your parenting? Because it relates. Remember, he is supposed to be preeminent in everything. All creation belongs to him. All people belong to him. And then you dial in on the church, and we all belong to him. So what does it mean for Christ to be preeminent in our individual lives? What does it look for Christ to be preeminent in our work or our school, our education? Or how about more, like, we'll back up. What does it look like for Christ to be preeminent in our joys and in our successes? What does it look like for Christ to be preeminent in our sorrows and in our failures, in the rough times? I was thinking about it this way. Uh, what, What does it look like for me for Christ to be preeminent in my suffering and in my savoring, Right? The things that I want to pass and, and just please, like, can we just, can we just get past this? Can we fix this? And what does it look like for Christ to be preeminent in the acts, in those moments of suffering? And then what does it look like for Christ to be preeminent in those moments of savoring when there's, things are so good and so sweet you don't want them to ever end? 
because it's easy to leave them out of either one. And the best I can come up with <laughs> to, 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 to narrow this down in a way that makes sense to me is to say, if Christ is preeminent, for Christ to be preeminent in us and in our lives, it means that we recognize that Christ is with us in these things. And that we are willing to follow Christ through these things, the suffering and the savoring. It means that in these things, Jesus gives us life and law and liberty. He gives us everything that we need in all of these things. In 2024, 2024 is scary for some people. Any of y'all prepping? People prepping? Always give. Tells you what I tell you what I watch on TikTok. I'll be scrolling like, get prepared, it's coming. I don't even need to. I can skip ahead because I know what they're going to say. It's coming. The end of the, everything. Some of us are scared of 2024. Some of us are super optimistic. We're pumped about 2024. Either way, for us to experience change, for it to be different, and it needs to be different for sure for everyone, at least in the sense that it should be different from the rest of the world, we must recognize Christ's preeminence. Because wherever you are, objectively, Christ is preeminent, but subjectively, we need to experience that. We need to participate in in submitting ourselves to his preeminence. In other words, if it's true that wherever you are or whatever you're going through, Christ is preeminent, then please act accordingly. Not pretend, act accordingly. Because this is where we find life. So can 2024 be different? Well, yeah, uh, but let me just read you one one verse, uh, 1 John 2.17. The world is passing away along with its desires. 2024 might not be better circumstantially than 2023. It could be worse. Some years are worse than others. Your personal year might be worse than last year. That happens. But can it be different? Yes. Can you change? Yes. And here's, here is the amazing truth. Keep in mind all that we've been thinking about Jesus, okay? This exalted view of Jesus. You can be different in 2024. It's not going to rhyme. If you were here last week, you, I know I still want you to expect some cheesy rhyme. I don't do that. But please hear this. You can be different in 2024 because Jesus won't be. You can change. We can change. I can change because God doesn't. Malachi 3.6 says, uh, I, the Lord, do not change or James 1.17 says that God is the giver of all good gifts, and with him there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm 102.27 says, O Lord, you are the same. Your word, it all, it lasts forever, ever. And speaking of Jesus, right, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can change because God doesn't. Right? How does that work? He is supreme because in his love and his righteousness and his power and in his promises, he does not change. 
His power and promises are intact. They don't fade. He doesn't waver. The love, the grace, the help that he offers, like you can be different in 2024 than 2023 because Christ is your help. He saves and he sanctifies. I, I know some of you are limping into, t- some of you are crawling. Some of you are being dragged into 2024. Some of you, are, it's the fireman's carry. You're over somebody's shoulder. You're not even walking. You're being brought into 2024. This year was so rough. I know that. I understand it. But I want you to be confident going into 2024. Not because you're super disciplined, though that's a good thing. Not because you're going to turn over new leaves and give up bad habits, but I want you to be confident going into 2024 because God is there. Jesus is there, supreme, reigning, continuing, helping, sanctifying, saving. And he doesn't change. Therefore, we all can. And he offers this grace to even those of you who are outside of the kingdom, to those of you who do not believe. This is, God, God offers his grace to sinners, to all sinners. That means to, like, every, to all of the unbelieving world, God offers his grace to you. He doesn't offer his grace to the deserving or the spiritually minded. He offers it to sinners. And it's his grace that changes the minds and the hearts of sinners. So the help and the confidence that I hope we Christians have going into 2024 uh, is, is a part of the same grace that God offers to you who do not believe. You can be forgiven. You can be accepted by God. You can be given the divine purpose for which you have been made. You can walk in that and be transformed. You can be different because God doesn't change. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause us all to grow in our faith today, that you would, you would draw each of us near to you, everyone here, Lord, that we would be more convicted about our own sin, but more encouraged about your grace, that we would leave here with our heads up, that we would look forward to this next year, starting tonight at midnight, I guess, Lord, that, that we would enter into that year optimistically, not because we're wearing rose-colored glasses or just wishing really hard, but because we know that you reign and that through Jesus Christ, you provide grace and help to all who ask for it, Lord, we pray that you would make 2024 different by changing us above even our circumstances. In Christ's name we pray, amen.